Welcome to the Association Corner, a podcast series focusing on insights and trends for association professionals by association professionals. Hello, and welcome to the Association Corner. I'm Jessica Richardson, MultiViews Director of Partnership Marketing, and today we're going to discuss all things within the event space and what to look at and perhaps even plan for for 2023 events and for the future. Joining me today is Melinda Burdett, Senior Director of Events at MPI, who also just recently returned from Tokyo. We won't bore you with all the details, but I'm actually very jealous of her trip. And so, Melinda, I hope you are well-rested from it and ready to talk today. Yeah, thank you so much, Jessica. Uh, Tokyo was was certainly a trip of a lifetime. Uh, I, I had never been there before. Um, but yeah, glad to join you today and talk about all things events. It's It's been my my career choice uh, for the majority of, of my career. So let's get started. All right. So whether it's AI, sustainability, hybrid events, or how to keep foot traffic on the trade show floor, it's all top of mind when it comes to association meeting planners. I know we at Multiview definitely hear about it a lot from the partners that we work with. Um, this landscape is ever-changing, so it's it's key to keep a fresh eye on the trends that are happening across the world. Um, we're probably going to cover a lot of event topics today, so please forgive me for all of my questions. Um, but with that, let's get right into it. Um, with something that comes to every meeting, um, especially since the pandemic, is it in person, hybrid, or virtual? Um, during the pandemic and, and even after, we've had partners realize that they were able to get more attendees with their hybrid events because it allowed people who couldn't normally travel to gain that conference knowledge from inside their homes. That said, we've also heard that it's a lot of extra time, effort, and money to plan basically two events virtual and hybrid. Is that true? Are you seeing a continuous trend of hybrid and virtual meetings taking place post the pandemic? And do you think it's here to stay? Yeah, that's that's kind of a difficult question, right? To to be the to be the predictor of what the future is going to hold. What I will tell you is that you need to know your audience. You need to know who's coming to your meetings to decide whether you're going to go virtual, all, you know, all virtual, all in person, or some form of hybrid, and and what their appetite is for being participative. Participative. That's a hard word to say, isn't it? Uh, uh, within within the meeting space. So it is. If you are doing a hybrid event, it is like planning two separate events. Uh, and and what you're trying to do is to try to find that connective tissue between what's happening uh, live and what's happening uh, on, in the digital space. So so it is two different budgets. It's two different staffs that have to manage the chat room and, and manage the logistics from a live standpoint. It is a much heavier lift uh, for an events team, for a logistics team, for an education content team, um, all of the marketing, everything associated with the hybrid event uh, really does take double the effort, double the budget. Um, you know, is it here to stay? I, I think some form of of hybrid 
will be here to stay. Uh, you know, MPI specifically has been doing some version of, and, and, and depending upon your definition of hybrid, you know, we've been doing some version of that for years. I mean, we have been content capturing our education, uh, certainly our general sessions and some of our workshops out of our big annual meeting and then repurposing, repackaging that after the fact uh, to be on demand. So you could call that a hybrid expense. And certainly that uh, does not cost as much or take as much staff time as a true live and digital event happening concurrently. So uh, is it here to stay? Yes, in some way, shape or form. But I think that right now we're gonna, as people are, are have that need or want to travel, you're gonna see face-to-face come back really, really, hard at this point mm-hmm. and then maybe kind of settle back down that pendulum that pendulum will swing back towards the middle and settle back down and we'll get a kind of a mix you know you may do your annual meeting uh face to face from this point forward but some of the other meetings that you were doing face to face you may choose to do those uh hybrid or or completely virtual uh, uh as you move forward you know we we still have uh, budget concerns associated coming out of the pandemic. So it's going to be a little bit, it's going to be a little while before we normalize. That makes sense. What works for some might not be the best option for others. Um, I know we have a partner that recently made the change that they're doing an in-person conference every other year. And then the years in between, they're going to do virtual just because they have a global audience for their membership base. So they just wanted to hit everyone as much as they could um, and offer that flexibility. Yeah. Um, Okay. So with the continuous chatter about artificial intelligence, and that's constantly the buzzword right now. um, So I have to bring it up. Do you feel that AI has a place within the meeting space? Um, I, I read an article the other day about how meeting planners are using the chat GPT yeah. to help with efficiencies, market research, brainstorming concepts, how to really get the message across marketing wise for their event. Is this all that AI can do for meetings or have you seen it in other avenues yeah, a- AI is expensive, right? Especially from an association standpoint. Maybe in the corporate world, it might be a little bit more uh, accessible uh, for for your corporate meetings. In the association space, you really have to be able to bargain and negotiate with those companies who are offering those AI uh, opportunities for some partial in kind, uh, those kinds of things. From uh, you know, from the aspect of of getting that in front of more people. Certainly, I think as more people um, and more more meetings uh, adopt some AI opportunities within their meetings, it will become more mainstream. But right now, you know, with associations having limited budgets, uh, it, it's just going to, to still be a little bit more difficult in the, um, in the association space. But I mean, there are tremendous concepts that are out there right now. But but again, I think that the barrier to entry, especially for associations, is that price tag. Um, yeah. And then, of course, we don't know what we don't know. You know, I it, we face that at the beginning of the pandemic. People are scared of AI because they don't know enough about it. So you have to kind of 
remove yourself from that situation, learn about it, see how you can implement it or how you can implement it within your meeting to mm-hmm. a certain degree. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to jump off the cliff and and do all AI. Uh, you know, you could you could kind of dabble in it uh, just to get a little bit more familiar with it. So I, I think there are some still barriers to entry in some situations, but certainly it, it's something we need to keep an eye on. Yeah. I You mentioned people being scared of it. I mean, i I'm skeptical. I mean, don't get me wrong. I've, I've used some of the functions just on the the writing trend just to see how it worked. Mm-hmm. But then there's been articles and reviews of, I don't know if it was chat GPT or some other AI writing tool that the the tool is talking to itself. Now it's getting yeah. that above and beyond. So it is, it is kind of terrifying on a, on a personal <laughs> standpoint. Um, but that's a good point about cost. I, I don't think I would have even thought about that, but I can only imagine how pricey they are. Um, so if they're not well suited for the association space right now, I can only imagine that people are trying to to get into that space to keep their attendees engaged. So if it's too expensive, what are some new tactics for meetings and, and what should meeting planners look for to, to really engage their audience? Yeah, you know, that is the secret sauce uh, to making a, a meeting successful, re- regardless of whether it's in-person, uh, virtual, hybrid, whatever it happens to be. So, you know, a meeting a meeting has to be worthwhile for the attendee to attend the meeting or justify to whomever they might have to justify to attend. So, you know, Bigger might not always be better in that situation, but what they're looking for is a great experience. And that's where, you know, we've really kind of merged that that just regular boring being talked to type of face-to-face old school meeting into the creation of an experience and having attendees really be involved in the lectures or or the or the workshops, you know, we're really getting a little bit more hands on. And that's certainly uh, some way that you can do uh, that you can engage your attendees with without having that that very large uh, price tag. You know, they're becoming more authentic. They're meeting them where they need to be. You know, we hear that a lot is you need to meet me where I am at this at this moment in our in our lives and and what we're striving for as a meeting professional and planning are things that are authentic, engaging and designed with sustainability and inclusion in mind. Um you know, they are uh, what I have seen and certainly in the MPI space associations are really looking at their mission and vision associated with the association and trying to carry that through uh, when they do go out for a meeting. You know, if you're looking at putting on an annual meeting, you're you're talking about millions of of dollars that that you're putting on the table. You need to make sure that you're getting that return on investment. Right. That's absolutely true. So what about taking that a step further? What about exhibitors? Um, Because you not only want to keep your attendees engaged so they come back year after year, but exhibitors and sponsors probably need that ROI as well. So what's what are some best ways to ensure that foot traffic is on the trade show floor and, and that they are getting that good ROI? Yeah, that's all. That's always a, a struggle, you know, for most associations or even most meetings uh, is get people in the exhibit hall floor. I mean, the easy thing is to put food in there, right? If you don't, right. if you have <laughs> coffee in there, if you have food in there, then people are going to come into the space. 
But, you know, it's really a partnership between the meeting professional, the meeting and the exhibitors. You can't just stand, say you have a 10 by 10 space. You can't just stand in that space and look pretty or or look good and have really great graphics and expect for an attendee to to come searching for you. You have to be able to engage that attendee somehow. So provide them something that they need or want at that point. So, so do some activations, have an Instagram moment within your booth so that it drives people or our giveaway or all of those kinds of things that are traditional, but it really is a partnership at this point. Give you know, give give them something that they want at that point, or or that they don't even know that they need, uh, like an Instagrammable moment or or something like that. And then they're going to be curious about who you are as a company. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, you know, that is that is something difficult, but it is a partnership. You can't expect a meeting professional to to ensure that they're driving traffic to your specific booth. They've got you know some of these trade shows are, are acres and acres big. So, you know, they've got everyone who they want to obviously get a good ROI on. But so you have to come to the table with some ideas as well from an exhibitor standpoint. Yeah, that's that's very true. Uh, I feel like it's, it's you what you put into it is what you're going to get out of it as, yeah. as an exhibitor and sponsor. Yeah. Um, so that's very true. And, and just making sure that their promotions or any advertising campaigns are leading up to the event so people know where to find you. Um, okay. So you had touched just right before the exhibitor mentioned, um, a little bit about meetings becoming more authentic and designed with designed with sustainability. Yeah. That resonates really well with me right now, just because I, I talked to two different organizations, um, the other month, one was an association and one was, a an AMC and they were talking about how they were changing their meetings, working towards the greater good. Um, the association worked towards raising money for CSR initiatives, and the AMC was trying to get all of their association clients to lower their carbon footprint with the hopes of having all of those meetings 100% carbon neutral by 2025. What are you seeing in the meeting space regarding these efforts? Are more organizations following suit? Um, are host cities and venues continuing on this trend or starting this trend, I should say? Um, is it something that meeting planners or associations should be keeping an eye on for their future events? Yeah, that's a lot of questions. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's no worries. You know, sustainability is an important topic um, for everyone. It doesn't we, we we think about sustainability in in the meeting professional world because you know if you go old school if you go back to when I started my career we were printing programs mm-hmm. uh, we weren't worried about recycled paper you know everything was plastic people were throwing a lot of stuff away um, you know there was just this this whole uh, basic disregard uh, if you not really disregard but not really a whole lot of interest in making sure that your meetings. Uh, were sustainable, but that's that's not where we are um, uh, in today's world. You know, we're worried. We're all worried about wasting food, water, electricity, about not recycling. Um, and and if you can build in sustainability into your meetings, and it doesn't have to be, you know, some ideas don't have to be as overt as others. Um, mm-hmm. But you can 
you can then be more relevant at, at who is coming to your meeting. Certainly the younger generations are way more concerned about sustainability and inclusion than some of the older generations are. I mean, that's just a statement of fact. So you don't want to appear, take the risk of appearing that you're outdated or, or that you don't care about what's happening in the world. Um, so certainly, uh, you know, we've seen it through the pandemic. You had supply chain issues, so you had to think outside the box a little bit more right. about F and B and and sustainability as far as you know, could you get even bamboo plates or or, or sustainable utensils uh that, that were one use utensils but but were made sustainably and could be recycled? You know, was that even an option for you during the pandemic? So I do think that the pandemic kind of helped uh meeting professionals think about sustainability within their meetings in a different way. But you know, one of the things that we do at MPI is is our RFP. When we go out to RFP for a meeting, I must have four, four or five pages at the end of my RFP that specifically talks about sustainability. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I want my venues to be able to tell me what it is that they're doing uh, to help a meeting professional or to help the world, right, become a more sustainable place. Uh, so, so, and then I take that and figure out, well, as I'm designing a meeting, what choices can I make uh, that, that will make that event more sustainable? You know, can, can we use um, uh, recycled electricity? We were in Toronto at the Toronto Convention Center and, and they, we had the option of using um, uh, more preferred energy uh, uh, than just I don't even remember what it was called, but it was terrific. And the fact that we were saving a carbon footprint because that venue was so sustainable. Um, You know, I'm I'm looking for those when when I'm making a decision that may be the trigger that actually makes me choose one venue over another. If I know that I can tell a sustainability story about my meeting that I'm bringing to that particular uh, to that particular venue, Um, you know, so you talk through them, you talk with them about what they can do. Do they re- already recycle or do we need to set out recycling boxes at our, you know, at our events or are they already taking care of that? You know, when I talk about, you know, plates, cups, napkins, all those things that we need at our meetings and events from a food and beverage standpoint, do they have a sustainable option for mm-hmm. that? And, and then even when you drill down into that, what are you doing? What are you choosing for food options, are are you choosing? We have a partner that we work with that really wants us to choose uh, water wise menus, which means you know if you if you take a, a a cow or a chicken, it takes less water to raise a chicken than it does to raise a cow. Hmm. So you're being more water. I know who would have who would have known. Right? I would have never thought of that. Right. So you want to go a little, you know, more sustainable as far as water, the water usage. When you think about how much water it takes to 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 make or grow or do whatever to raise um, cattle versus chickens and it takes less water. So you might go down a chicken route because ultimately you're saving water by choosing uh, by choosing that particular uh, menu item. So lots and lots of different things uh, that you can look at uh, with alternative solutions to like plastic uh, in Europe, they do a really good job instead of having, they still do quote unquote bottled water, but the, but the water is in uh, cartons, like, like small milk cartons or, or medium yeah. size 
like coconut water, you know, when you mm -hmm. think about coconut water in the, in the, in the recycled uh, cartons, uh, that's how they're doing bottled water. You know, those kinds of sustainability uh, opportunities uh, that, that we really want to, you know, tell that story, show that story, and then, you know, sustainability and give back and the whole CSR opportunity is not just about, you know, food waste or, or, or water-wise or, or those kinds of things. It's really giving back to the community that you're in as well. So, you know, we always look for those give back opportunities. We typically partner uh, with Foundation for Hospital Art everywhere that we go so that, you know, our attendees in their downtime can do those paint by number paintings. And then those mm -hmm. paintings get donated to a, a local hospital, children's hospital, whatever it happens to be. So, you know, when you think about being sustainable or that give back, it is it, it goes just beyond you know, how much water, electricity, you know, uh, food, wasting food, all of those kinds of things that that you're doing. Yeah, it's really a broad topic. And now that you explained it in more detail, I mean, you could really take one tiny piece of the, the puzzle and still reach those efforts or goals that you're yeah. working towards. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even, even the smallest change uh, makes a huge impact. Okay. Would you say that moving towards these efforts are more costly for associations or is it just part of the norm now? Is it just something that venues are trying to strive for as well? Yeah, venues are definitely coming up to the, t you know, coming up to the plate, so to speak, uh, now that we're in baseball season um, uh, <laughs> to, to really provide uh, more sustainable options. And, and and I think it's it's a conversation that needs to be had between, you know, the, the primary meeting professional and the venue is is what are you doing and what can we complement you uh, in doing? So, you know, having a line item start with start with $5,000 in a budget, right? What can you do for $5,000? Uh, and then as you grow, you're going to find that there are companies who are interested in, in helping you to su support sustainability within your meetings. And so then it turns into potentially a sponsorship opportunity. So you could arrange these things have and have a sponsor come in and actually sponsor that. So, you know, you're That's not really spending that 5,000, right? So there is, there's a way to, to turn it into something positive for both you and a potential client or sponsor uh, and, and, you know, cover those costs as well. That's true. Do you recommend, I mean, with everything that you've mentioned today, even with AI and sustainability and getting that foot traffic, do you recommend starting small? Um, should associations and meeting planners go into the deep end? I mean, what's what's the secret sauce to, to really, I mean, I guess you said it, knowing your audience, especially with the different generations yeah. coming through, but how do you, how do you get there? What's the, the secret sauce to making your meeting design the best or, or becoming more sustainable as you're planning? Yeah, I think, you know, I think starting small is always good. Um, you know, like if you if you are printing a program, can you not print the program? Can you do a mobile app instead and get your attendees used to not having a printed program in front of them? Right. That's an easy that that's kind of an easy fix uh, to do. Or, or can you think of, you know, maybe you offer a meatless lunch at some point. Right. Uh, uh, you know, again, depending upon your your audience's appetite for those kinds of things, um, you know, think about 
think about what you can change in that situation. It could be just a small item. It could be that you're using bamboo utensils versus plastic utensils, uh, you know, that, that, that give nothing back to the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, so yes, it is, it is small things. Start asking those questions um, of your venues uh, and, and start small, figure out how you can partner uh, with people who are interested in CSR. You might even want to hire. There are CSR experts that are out there, certainly sustainability experts that are out there. Uh, so you might want to consult with one of them. You know, it's, it's worth, it might be worth that $5,000 just to have a consultation Mm-hmm. Uh, with, with a with a sustainability expert to try to figure out how you can make your meetings uh, more sustainable. Uh, but yeah, I I think you know, and the and the AI is the same thing. Find something that is is doesn't have a lot of barriers to entry. Like if it makes it too difficult for your attendees to figure out what they're doing in the AI world, they're not going to use it. So then it right. becomes then it becomes a wasted element. So. Find those opportunities for AI or whatever it happens to be that have the least amount of barriers to entry for your attendees um, and then start small. You know, you don't have you don't have to completely change your whole meeting. Start small and it will actually grow on its own is what is what I have found throughout my career. OK, that makes sense. I mean, what what may work for one may not work for an, uh, another so yeah. you just have to see what resonates best with your audience. Yeah. Um, t- top of mind, because my immediate thought is getting that feedback from members is crucial. We actually just wrote a blog about, article about how member feedback is essential for all associations. Um, and one time that, well, a specific time that you should get feedback based on my research is after your events. Do yeah. you agree that it's critical for future meetings, do you only listen to the member feedback or should you listen to exhibitors and sponsors? Do you collaborate everything cohesively within your, your next planning process? What's um, what's the best solution for that? I think the answer to all of that is yes and, right? <laughs> um, I, I think that certainly people uh, and I think every human being is like this. When you when you leave a meeting or when you're in a meeting, that's when you have the most comments about it. When you're experiencing whatever that is happening, good or bad, or whether you're indifferent to it, right? right. That's when you're going to get the most. I think that most surveys typically only get a 10% response rate, or at least, you know, in, in my career, 20% might be the high response rate. People just, you know, they feel like if they don't have anything good or bad to say, if it was just okay for them, you know, mm-hmm. that that their expectations, I think that that's what you get when you get a survey. I think the important part is, is yes, you need to be asking all of your stakeholders. So identify your stakeholders ahead of time. Uh, whether it's exhibitors, suppliers, vendors, attendees, you, you know, maybe it's your board, maybe it's your planning committee, maybe it's your staff. I mean, who knows who your stakeholders are at your particular meeting? So identify those ahead of time. You need to be asking the questions because otherwise, if you don't ask, you don't know how, you don't know what to change, right? Mm-hmm. right. Um, and then the most important part is what do you do after you ask? I know a lot of times people just ask, right? Because they feel like they have to, but then mm-hmm. they don't do anything with that information. So you have to, it's, it's, it's a process. You not only have to ask, but you have to pay attention 
to what they respond with. And then, you know, if something goes wrong and you, and you know it goes wrong, I mean, if you're the meeting professional at your particular meeting, you know when things go wrong, right? You shouldn't be surprised by anything that anyone puts in, in their evaluations, at least that's the way I feel about my meetings, that if something, obviously, if something big goes wrong, then I already know about it. And I've already tried to figure out ways to prevent that from happening in the future. But again, if you're, if you're, if you're just surveying your people because your stakeholders, because you think that's the right thing to do, then what are you doing with that information? It doesn't make any sense to do it unless you take it to the next step and right. figure out a better way to, to create that ROI and to make the next meeting better than this meeting was. Um, you know, uh, a, a lot of, uh, and, and you really need to think about the questions that you're asking too. What are you trying to get to when you ask a question? Are you trying to get someone to tell you that the room was too cold? Well, that's not, you know, or too hot or whatever it happens to be, because we all have those types of questions in our surveys, right? Mm -hmm. So when you're, when you're devising those surveys, figure out the answer that you're trying to get to and word your question uh, in a in such a way that you will actually get meaningful answers that come out of that. Uh, you know, talk to them about their experience. Not you know, not certainly you can rate a speaker whether they like to speaker or not. That that's pretty common. But then o overarchingly, maybe you're asking them about their overall experience. Like you know, when they when they arrived, what did they have in mind, and did did their did their um, intention or did their experience during your meeting change uh, in their exit behavior, right? So when they're mm -hmm. coming to the airport, they're stressed out, they, you know, they're trying to figure out how they're going to attend your meeting and continue to keep up with their inbox at the same time, right? Then they arrive at your meeting. What are you doing to make them present within that meeting? And did they recognize that? And when they're in the in the taxi or whatever, going back to the airport, have you changed something in that individual? You know, that's what we're all looking for. We're all looking for that connective tissue between that entry, that entry uh, uh, attitude and that exit attitude. And if you have affected change within that, then you've done something right. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And being able to come up with those solutions with all the feedback that's given, it's, it's only going to put the meeting planner or the association in a better light. I mean, you're absolutely, if, if the exhibitor or sponsor or attendee next year sees that you changed X, Y, and Z, they're going to be like, Oh, like I gave this feedback. They actually valued it and, and took it as constructive criticism and worked to, to fix it. So I, I definitely agree. I think that's, that's the best solution and, and to definitely do it after any event, whether it's an annual conference or even just a webinar. I mean, you, you have no idea what people's thoughts are. And, and I mean, everyone has their own opinion, that's for sure. But yep. one small thought could change you for the better. So I, yeah. I and one agree. small idea, you know, there's, I, I always say there's never a bad idea. It's just have, did you think about that idea uh, when when you entered into that, I mean, it, it really is. And, and word of mouth is king, right? Right. It is. Oh, my gosh. I had so much fun at MPI's WEC. I have, you know, I'm a, I'm I'm now a loyalist. Right. 
every association, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for those people who make your meetings the can't miss meeting that they have to attend every year. That's what we all strive for. And so if you're taking into consideration, how do you get them out, especially in, in the MPI world? So I plan meetings for meeting professionals. So, you know, my attendee, my attendee um, profile is slightly different than, you know, when I was in medical meetings or, or what have you, it's a different mm-hmm. mindset uh, for those meeting professionals that are coming in. Cause you're not, you're, you're not only trying to get them outside of their own headspace, right. So that they can enjoy the experience that you have created for them, but you're also trying to give them ideas, scalable ideas that they can take back to their own meetings, Um, so, so if I've done that in that exit behavior and that exit attitude, then that's a successful meeting. Now, whether I contain the chaos behind the curtain or, or, you know, whether it's spilled out in front of the curtain, that's certainly an opportunity, uh, for us, for us to, to do things better. But, you know, if, if I've, if I've made that, that observation and, and been able to change that exit attitude, that's, that's a win for me. Absolutely. I mean, you're the attendees, members, whoever it is, they're the best brand ambassador for the yep. event and the association as a whole. So, I mean, if you, if you don't give them an outlet, there's going to be an outlet, especially with social media these days. It's it's going to be put out there. Absolutely. Oh. Good, bad, or indifferent, right? And Yeah, and what, exactly. <laughs> what you want is, is the good coming out of that. You know, I, I don't, I always say all the time, there's no perfect meeting. I don't know that I've ever uh, had a perfect meeting where you didn't have some incident happen or something didn't go quite as you had planned it to. But again, it's it's all about did that chaos spill out from behind the curtain, right? right. Did 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 your did it affect your attendees? And that's that's when you really have to have to measure, you know, what you're doing in in a process situation to figure out how you can contain that stress and chaos behind the curtain so it doesn't affect the attendee experience. Because you know that's again that's what we're all looking for is 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 those people who say, oh my gosh, I had the best time. You guys, you guys missed out. If you didn't come, you really missed out. Absolutely. I guess you could say it's organized chaos behind the scenes. I call it controlled explosions. So, um, (laughs) you know, it's kind of like being on an airplane, right? Uh, You you know, it, you know, if you can take off, right. You know, you typically have a pretty successful uh, opportunity to get there, but yeah, it's, it's like controlling all these explosions or, or, or possible rocket launches that, that could, you know, that are, that are there to design to maybe interrupt your meeting and how do you control that? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that, that makes perfect sense. I love I love that analogy. Um, well, Melinda, I don't want to keep you too much longer. I know we could probably have a conversation all day about the different things going on within the meeting space. Um, so I thank you for joining me and and talking about some of the hot topic items um, that are that we'll see we're seeing in 2023 and probably in the future. Do you have any last minute feedback or or thoughts that you want to share with the association industry? Yeah, thanks Jessica for the opportunity to really to really talk to everybody. And I think that's that's where we all need to be as meeting professionals. You know, we we shouldn't be 
we shouldn't be competitive with one another. We should we should learn from one another. Um, and if if I can provide any sort of insider learning from the from the things that we have done on uh, certainly from MPI and then past associations that I've worked for, um, you know, then then the industry as a whole is that much better. And that's really what I'm striving to do, uh, you know, by by being uh, in the position that I'm in with MPI is to make the industry stronger and better. That's fantastic. Well, thank you again, Melinda. I really appreciate it. Um, If we should have any questions from listeners, what's the best way to get in touch with you if you have if they have questions? Yeah, so you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, Melinda Lamberdet uh, is my LinkedIn. Uh, just search for me. Uh, you can certainly ask me questions there, or you can certainly send me an email uh, to M Burdett. That's M B U R D E T T E at mpi.org. Great. Well, thank you everyone for for listening and and learning more about events for this year and the future. And we look forward to talking to you again next month. Thanks.